For more than 25 years, Atlanta has tuned into my straightforward financial advice. I'm Dr. Gene Hensler, and this is Money Talks, Atlanta's longest-running and most respected money show on radio. My staff and I will give you fact-based, no-nonsense answers to your financial questions. To have your questions answered on the air, send them to me, Dr. Gene at Hensler.com. That's D-R-G-E-N-E at H-E-N-S-S-L-E-R.com. This broadcast of Money Talks originally aired Saturday, March 30th, 2019. The only thing we have to fear... The economic health of this nation has been... ...for essential economic freedoms. The excessive decline... Greed. ...in the dollar... It's a late rally on Wall Street. Too big to fail. Growing the economy. Growing the economy. It's amazing what's been going on with the economy. Welcome. Welcome. This is Money Talk. Money Talk. Good morning. What up, fam? Oh, there he goes again. Mr. Hipster, Troy Harmon. Uh, Always Host hip. of Money Talks. If the, there's not a millennial on the show, do you still say that? Of course. I'm talking okay. to millennials. Okay. Every listener, I assume, is a millennial. <laughs> Why are they not? I mean, it's uh, it, we, we turn sure this into a podcast, which is, again, one of those hipster things to do. Uh, you can get it on our website, Hensler.com, H-E-N-S-S-L-E-R.com. But uh, fresh. Uh, before I get too far into this, you're listening to the Atlanta's longest-running, most respected money show on the radio, Money Talks. And I'm here today with Nick Antonucci and Jim Crone. Nick is a, has a couple of designations uh, that will be beneficial in our discussion today. He's a uh, CVA, which is a Certified Valuation Analyst, which... Like yourself. I am, too, a certificate of the Certified Evaluation Analyst designation, and uh, I also hold the Charter Financial Analyst Charter. Uh, Nick is a SEPA, which is a Certified Exit Planning Advisor as well. Uh, Jim Crone is our, our insurance kind of guy. He uh, yeah. he is, uh, I tell you, he's a wealth of knowledge when it comes to things that I usually talk to him about from the investment side of the world. I know there's folks that are out there on the radio that are, uh, and various other places that are selling an annuity as a, as a financial plan. The reality is it might be a good tool to use for some cases, but quite often it's a, it's a tool that insurance people use as a, a huge um, way to pay themselves. Uh, and, and often if they're paying themselves at your expense, ouch, that's all I can say. It's not really a financial plan, but uh, Jim holds a couple of designations all related to insurance, and I'm not even going to attempt. I know there's one that I'm just going to give him grief about because I always do. But, Jim, yeah. what are your designations? It, it, uh, first is CLU, and you like to say that I have a you clue. You have a clue, yeah, yeah. a clue. And, uh, I'll take that. I'll take yeah. that. He's I work... the only man I know that has a clue. <laughs> I'm sure there's others out it there. It took me a little bit to get that designation, so I'll take it and run with it. There right? we go. And that stands for? C- Chartered Life Underwriter. Chartered Life Underwriter. Yeah. Okay. So, And then the other one is CFS, or Certified Fund Specialist. But I always say... Certified fund specialist. This is a man with a clue who will show you multiple ways to have uh, fun. And I can go with that, too. What more and, could uh, you want? And uh, when you're all done, if you have trouble sleeping, he'll talk to you about insurance. <laughs> we'll finish anyway, it out. Yep. There, there we go. All right, so uh, this week, let's uh, talk a little about the financial markets. Um, another decent week. We're down. We're down one and a third percent. It's kind of continued reaction to, in my opinion, last week's um, Fed minutes, right? Fed, yeah. 
Um, yeah, that's, that's been the big pumping the pumping the brakes on the uh, well. They said the they're willing, willing to to do whatever it takes to be accommodative to the economy, right? To make sure that we have growth. Yes, they sure. are telling us what in September they're going to quit um, allowing the roll off of the balance sheet of the balance sheet. That's the Fed's balance sheet that went from 800 billion in uh, 2008 to 4.4 trillion as early as like a year and a half ago. Yep. Uh, we started roll-offs in October of 16, got up, uh, no, October of 17, got up to full boat where we were rolling $50 billion per month off October, October of, of last year. And now we're saying, now we're saying well, oh, buddy. And mm-hmm. how much difference did that make, Nick? We're down to $4 trillion instead of $4 Oh, man, what a, what a solid balance sheet we have $400 billion, which is half as much. I mean, they rolled off half as much as we had when we started this mess, but you're right. Going from 4.4 to 4 trillion, relative to where we were in 2008, that's still weird. It is, and then you combine that with the fact that the Fed has said that they're not going to raise interest rates anymore this year, and yeah. next year, once. Which do well, you, what do you is buy the that? options? What do does the buy? options market tell us? It's, it's, they're they're going to cut before they're going to raise. Yeah, is what the fact, options market tells the us. The 73 percent likelihood that we get a cut by. Was it March of next year? Uh, January. January of next but year. But now you're looking at the 50-50 mark where we start saying anything above 50 is, is a more likely scenario. Uh, that's the fall of this year. Yeah. Where, and that's just uh, implied by the pricing in the options market. Uh, generally, it tends to be what we call the smart money. You start looking at that kind of stuff, and uh, it starts telling you that uh, maybe a little bit of grief is on the horizon. And what would be our biggest, most reliable indicator of that? Usually, a yield curve inversion, which? Treasury yield curve. Did that happen? Uh, well, this week, if you look at the three-month versus the two-year or ten-year, we finally got that weird inversion. Now, it's not the two and the ten that a lot of folks look at. Right. But when you look at the three-month relative to the ten-year, I think it's around point, uh, 4.5 basis points or Point zero four five percent. Is that right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So um, we do have an inversion. It is a very slight when you talk about it in absolute terms, but we've seen that over the past few years uh, become less and less uh, large, I guess, if you would. Uh, but it really is kind of a function of how we've seen yields decline. Now, the last time we saw inversion in the market was 2006. It was late in 2006, right? Um, market topped about a year later, and October we wound of up. 07. And then by October of '08, we were already talking. We were in recession, but we were way down uh, by the time we heard recession talk. Right. So the market, the market moves late against this particular indicator, but it's almost a sure bet within 18 to 20 months. It is an months. indicator, right? It's, yeah, 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 exactly. And, and historically, has been very accurate. That's the thing. Uh, just. Myself interacting with clients over the past, you know, week or so, the ones that are aware have even brought this up. You know, how concerned are you guys with the yield curve inverting? And we are concerned. These are things that we watch on a on a daily basis, and and we're taking actions to to get more defensive in our portfolios. And that's a great time for you guys to do the same. Are we at the top of the market? Maybe not, as you said, Troy. It's you know, eighteen, maybe eighteen to twenty four months before. You know, we really yeah, enter a recession. Right, an official recession. But by the time they declare it, the market has already which fallen is apart. Looking, yeah. Is, and now let's talk a little about about some of the other 
economic indicators that we would use. Uh, one of them is employment situation. We did get an ugly number. Yeah, in it's March. like 25,000. We're expecting a rebound. Next week, we'll get the, the March number. It's expected right. to be 175,000, so a decent number. But, yeah, you start to, you start to see well, these, these... our expectation last time was 180,000. And we, we had 25,000 20. yeah, or 20,000, 20, something like that. Yeah. And then you're also starting to see kind of an uptake in continuing jobless claims, which yeah. is what, what we tend to be more, more watchful of. We still of. have an unemployment rate of 3.8%, which is very low. Right. And I liken this to playing King of the Hill. Uh, usually, we would expect that... Full employment's about somewhere between four and a half and five percent, right? Yep. Um, we're well below that. So where do you go from here? Like when you're the king of the hill, there's one way to go, and it's down the hill. <laughs> uh, so we're sitting there watching closely those jobless claims, just to see, you know, what occurs next. But uh, yeah, we're concerned. Uh, wouldn't wouldn't try to make any other noise about that. Uh, what we do know is, you know, over long periods of time, we've seen how the equities market actually help you grow your wealth. Mm-hmm. Uh, but being mindful of business cycles is still something that we are absolutely into. Uh, we think is it has great value. Uh, lets you know when you might want to batten down the hatches, get a little more conservative in your portfolios, and um, you know, still try to to uh, um, manage your your investments as you as you go along. So. Um, you know, one of the others is valuation. Valuations are kind of skewed at the moment, we believe, because the price to earnings looks relatively tame. Yeah, uh, you know, uh, that's a reflection digit, of... Still a bit of a premium over long term. It's a reflection of buybacks, we a believe, lot of it, yeah. Because yeah, you um, look at price to sales and price to EBITDA, and they're way ugly relative to their long term It paints averages. a very different picture, for sure. Right. Yeah, uh, we're in fact, if you look at those two measures, our valuation is is akin to... Uh, what we had in the tech bubble, where PE was 36, 37 at its peak. Uh, we don't have the PE measure, but it, we again believe that uh, corporations are, are buying back shares, which, which kind of, uh, it's, it's... It skews things, it does. Yeah, it's, it's engineering. It's financial engineering. It's not fraud. I wouldn't call it that. But it is weird to me that you've got lots and lots of insider sellers and uh, you've got corporations buying, buying back, back shares. Yeah, so management might be selling, taking some money off the table at the same time. That they're, you know, they're the ones directing. Yeah, uh, it's not a very decisions. far stretch yeah. to say that that the managers are selling back to the company. Correct. Which, eh, come on, guys. Conflict of interest. I, you know, it's not it's not illegal. Uh, they declare it. They, you know, they're doing all they're supposed to do. It's uh, it is management a little bit. It dances on that line, though, right? It really does. Yeah, if in fact we did see a recession in the next couple of years, I wouldn't be surprised if we also saw attorneys that wanted to have a class action lawsuit (laughs) going on Uh, over countless companies. Many, many, many companies are doing just this thing. It's it's skewed the whole index. I mean, you know, you look at these numbers out of the S&P 500 and you're still getting a similar situation. Nick, we didn't talk much about... um, releases this week is there anything here highlight you'd like to check out um i I guess kind of let's just quickly go through returns year to date um if you look at the one year period we're up 10.21 percent um and then year to date 12.84 percent i think it warrants warrants a little more of a conversation so maybe when we come back after the break we can come back to it yeah um i'll have a dog when we get back and uh might kick around some economic numbers and uh then we'll talk about a situation we got coming up sounds good uh, 
Y'all stick around. You're listening to Money Talks, and we'll be right back. I like it. You know, I am so glad we finally changed it up. Yeah, it's a little soul in there. Yeah, yeah, a lot of soul. How about that? Uh, So the dog of the week this week uh, comes to us from Reuters, uh, Bergdorf, Switzerland. Uh, There's people that will take science to its limits, and especially if they're cheese folks. So (laughs) there is a there's a group who decided that uh, they would submit uh, or. I don't know how you say it. Uh, they took nine wheels of emmental cheese, weighing about 22 pounds a piece, and put them in a barrel, and they um, exposed them. That's what I meant to say. Huh. To music, music ranging from uh, we got it from a tribe. Uh, we got it from here from a tribe called Quest. I can't wait to hear this. Mozart's <laughs> magic this flute, Led Zeppelin's Stairway to Heaven. Um, Can I guess? One something? wheel was played the throbbing techno reels of UV of uh, and yellow's monolith. So which one was the best tasting? Because I have a feeling that's guess. where this is going. You, it is. It's techno music. No, and and what makes it better, I, I'm it's sure. It's a bit aggressive with the I mean, techno. Hard come rock. On now. rock. Might upset the cheese. Rock Classic did, rock. No, hip-hop. hip-hop. Hip-hop won the day. And the way that they made this determination was the strength of smell and taste was mm. actually... Mm. Heightened by playing your cheese, hip hop music. People get paid to do this. Well, I mean, sure they you, are. huge grants. There are probably folks out there that are marveling at the fact that we get paid to do what we. Do. <laughs> That's also true. I wouldn't be surprised uh, at that. But I why mean, stop at cheese? It's like the happy cows come from California. Could you make cows happier depending on what music you play? Maybe. Therefore, and, better and, state. And if happy cows, do they produce better milk? And if you use the better milk, could you just use hip hop? I think we need to try and get a seat on Hormel's board. Yeah. And try and implement <laughs> the company-wide cow. music to for, all livestock for better, for better meat products. Yeah, and then we can raise prices. Yeah, of course you can. Well, what they're going to do with this, uh, the the findings from the study, they're going to take five or ten cheeses and uh, put hip hop on them, and then make another comparison. And I'm not sure who. I would assume there's probably professional cheese tasters that have that have actually done this. That's another Said great the job. So the cheese was uh, <laughs> tested twice by the jury, and both times the results were more or less the same. Wow. So uh, double tested, hip-hop cheese is the best. You should yeah. you should do this. Go home. On your way home, get some cheese. Bring it home. Play some rap music near Did the cheese. Rat and when, you're, when, you're, when your <laughs> wife asks you what you're doing, you can tell her the story. Yeah, or I'm your just, kids would love it. I'm, I'm heightening the... Flavor of this cheese. Well, <laughs> yeah, you'll thank you think me later. Kids, do you think my kids after. would say that I was lit? They might. I mean, that's what I'm. If that's going, what you're going I for, be, yeah. I want to be the hippest hipster around. Yeah. Yeah. So if my kids thought that I was lit, or maybe even better, on fleek. Yeah, I think that that one's not. That one's really not around so much anymore. Oh, so I'm late. <laughs> yeah, I think you got to retire that one. 
But grief. just when I thought it was on the cutting edge, you're, you're, I find out you're I'm at the back of the razor on the hip, the hip slang. So well, I'll I, try and keep you better. I wouldn't informed. be surprised at that, Nick. All right, so uh, we were talking about the economy and various things. Let's get a little deeper. Switch into off the of cheese for a minute. Yeah, why? Why not turn the hip hop off our cheese? Right. No, Troy, you know, it's it's something I kind of want to dig into before the last break. But if you were to look over the one-year period, so basically end of March 2018 um, through today, you look at the top performing sectors. As I said earlier, uh, over the one year, the S&P 500 is up 10.21% on a total return basis. Right. The top two performing sectors um, are real estate and utilities, followed by um, technology stocks, technology, which right? have been head and shoulders above every other sector well, up until year. late last year. Right where things fell apart towards the end of uh, 2018. But right. it's interesting to me when you take a step back and look what in, what interest rates have done um, since then. You know, we talked earlier in the segment. We're moving lower and lower. The 10 years at, what, 2.4, something like that now, 2.39 as of today. So it's not surprising to me to see some of these um, bond proxy-type sectors start to outperform again. So real yeah. estate's up 20.39% Unbelievable, in the one year. Yeah, utilities. You know, everyone thinks utilities – Oh, why am I going to invest in utility stocks? They, they're not growing. Yeah, three to but five. But they, they pay a three to five percent in dividend yield, and they're up nineteen point two six percent in the one year. So yeah. sometimes it's not all about that huge earnings growth number. If they're growing earnings five to six percent, like I know Southern Company is, there's something attractive about the predictable cash flows, the stable earnings and revenues, especially if you consider where we are in the economic cycle. And this is something that I'm going to kind of go back to a lot in, in, in this show as we answer some listener questions. I'm approaching a lot of things right now in the context of where we are in the economic cycle, which I think is important. Um, But these are the perfect – utilities especially are what you want to own. Who's going to get hurt most when the business business cycle goes into a recession where you have a yield curve that is inverted? Financials generally? Yeah. Guess who's at the bottom over the past year? Financials. The one and only negative return – out of any sector, 4%. Yeah, I mean, you just look at a lot of the cyclicals down there uh, as you get further down the, the list of those top-performing sectors in yeah. the one-year period. Discretionaries are doing surprisingly they well are. They, for, a, for a, a cyclical kind of stock. Even They're if you look more recently, consumer discretionary has done really well. I've seen a lot yeah. of high flyers surprised to the upside. Consumer staples, middle of the pack, something I still I still think – it's been underloved. It has very much so. That's, what I, that's exactly the, the way to put and it. They, so. And they, it really for very minimal reason. I don't know why. I mean, if you're underweight consumer staples right now, I would say fix that. Yeah, absolutely. And, and even within consumer staples, you can see opportunities like tobacco stocks. Yeah. Uh, you know, we, we decided to take more action in, in that uh, beginning of this year, late last year. And, right. and so far, it's, it's paid off well for us. Yeah. The one thing I would say is it's probably likely if you haven't touched your portfolio in a little while, you probably are still overweight information technology, underweight staples, probably well underweight uh, utilities if you had if you had them at all. Quite right. often they get skipped, um, but uh, you know I, I would say that uh, focus on that. I'd possibly think about taking some off of infotech, and especially if you need some way to backfill your consumer staples, that'd be a wise choice. Yeah, right I agree. Now. Uh, we covered the year to date, 12.84% on the S&P 500. Infotech leading the pack. Real estate still doing well at 17% higher. Uh, utilities well down the list at just 10.2% year to date. So 
Uh, nothing is negative. The worst that we've got is health care, which is another one of those places Surprising, that yeah. just just getting kicked around bad. Uh, it's up 5.35% year-to-date, less than half of the overall index. Um, so another place where if you're underweight, I would say health care would be a good spot. Yeah, and I think that's one of those that's still uh, the Affordable Care Act, and, and there's still a lot of pending uncertainty as to what the health care picture looks like. Uh, ahead of us, and I think that's a lot of what's weighing down healthcare stocks. So. Sure, yeah, we've got another uh, another rankle in Washington where uh, President Trump's trying to do away with uh, um, our healthcare bill that was passed under the Obama administration. So uh, we'll have that debate again. Uh, he's also not a huge fan of uh, high prices in pharmaceuticals, which yeah. which does impact pricing there, uh, stock pricing. Uh, so it's one of those that you should watch, but again, I think worthy of of your attention at the moment as far as on the buy side. Agreed. All right. Uh, we got a situation we like to talk about these every week. And uh, we got a situation here. John owns a successful business, has discussed transferring business ownership to his executive team uh, over the next 10 years. His child has no interest in the business. That's not uncommon these days. Uh, his sole ownership will be uh, divided among six key individuals that help grow his uh, that have helped grow his business into what it is today. Uh, his buyers will most likely preserve what's important to him about the business. Uh, the, the succession plan is in place, uh, but with a span of 10 years, a lot can happen to the business, the owners, and even John. So, um, I think we've got the perfect team here to talk about various of these things. Uh, number one is these these get kicked off when you have a good buy sell agreement in place in the corporate structure. And uh, there is no time, if you don't have one, like the present, to get that in place. Yeah, it's, it's something that really should, should be set up from the get-go, and it's not, it's not, a, it's not, a, static, not a static thing. You it, know, it the, ad- the circumstances will change, yeah, and, and sh- as you said, should adjust over the, the term of the business. But just to take a step back and you look at business owners as a whole, um, the State of Readiness uh, survey for the state of Georgia Performed by the Exit Planning Institute in uh, 2018, 56% of owners fall into the age group of 53 to 71 years old. So we got an aging ownership population. Absolutely. 32% are between the ages of 37 and 52. And then 81% of all of them have no written transition plan, and 54% had done no planning at all. Yeah. So there's clearly a deficiency in, in exit planning and succession planning, and really a buy-sell agreement is is core to yeah. that. Yeah, no matter what your age, I think it's important to when you set up a corporation to make sure that there is a buy-sell agreement. And some of the things that need to be stepped through is uh, how does the business ownership transition exactly. if something, anything, and there's a lot of unknowns that can cause us major Death, issues. disability. Yeah, and, and no one it. ever thinks it's going to happen to them, and no one plans right. that far in advance. But Yeah, the, bad, the, the stories that are problematic are the ones that kind of grab attention, right? The sure. Somebody that didn't do it, and this is the result, right? Didn't uh, something really bad happen re- related to the business? Either it shut down, there's no added uh, legacy, there's no element that transitions. So ultimately, that that idea of the buy sell is putting it down on paper so that there is logic and uh, ease with transition Absolutely. as best can be done. Yeah. All right, guys. Uh, when we come back, we'll flesh this subject out a little more. You're listening to Money Talks. Thanks for listening. We'll be right back.
This is Money Talks. We're back. You listen to Money Talks. I'm Troy Harmon here with Nick Antonucci and Jim Crone, and we've been talking about uh, a situation that we run into quite a bit is business owners without a buy-sell agreement in their corporate documents, and uh, uh, it really, it's it's one of the most important things that uh, that does often go missing. Um, but you know, we were talking about what it means, what should be included in that buy sell agreement. And Nick, if you want to take that and run, yeah. So basically, just in general terms, what a buy sell agreement is going to lay out, and you know, the, in the event of death, death, disability, divorce, or you're just simply leaving the business, who who can own those shares that you're going to transfer? Um, right. Is it is it only other owners, the company? Can family own? A lot of times you don't want someone, uh, a family member who's not involved in the business to become an owner, or you don't want an outside owner, right. something like that. So this is going to lay out you know, who has the ability to own the shares, how are those shares valued, and that's something when we talk about um, you know, not having it static. If you, if you have a buy-sell agreement when you form the company, well, 10 years later, that valuation of that company hopefully is – significantly higher. So maybe the insurance policy, which we'll get into, that, that you initially purchased was sufficient to fund the purchase at that time. But now you have a company that's worth five times what it was yeah. before. Adjustments goal, need to right? be made. For, yeah, exactly. Yeah, sure. Need to be made for that. Yeah. And one of the things that, you know, you bring up, people a lot of times don't think about divorce. So what if one of the business owners were to go through a divorce, uh, wife or husband gets half. Now you've got business owners, partners that, that are not exactly in lockstep agreement, That's obviously, right. because of the situation they've just been through, right. uh, very emotional times, obviously. So uh, making sure that you get it right on the front side, it, you need to include loads and loads. I mean, deep thought needs to go into this. Yeah. Yeah, something else I, I think of quickly, Troy, is in, in our experience in, in dealing with business owners and valuing their businesses, sometimes a lot of these people don't even realize that they have a buy-sell agreement in their operating agreement, whatever it may be. We've seen that. And so you go through and you do this valuation, this, this calculation or conclusion of value, depending, where we, if it's conclusion of value, we're going to approach it three different methods where, come to find out later as we're going through, it states that it has to be done just one way. We've seen that. So at, yeah. at, at this point, you've gone through and you've agreed to do a more expensive process when all you really needed per the terms of, of your agreement are – uh, a market approach, which is right. Yeah. Well, less the one that we see intensive. more often is is like a, a book value, which is uh, I disagree with for the majority of yeah, because it doesn't service it doesn't type businesses market market based value. I think it's important, Nick, from your stats, the reference on the readiness study referenced identified almost thirty eighty percent, right over eighty yeah. percent. And it's important to understand that those folks have a plan. It's a default plan, and it's probably one that they wouldn't have chosen had they known different. Right, right. sure. Yeah. And so putting some belt and suspenders to that or, or getting it many times, it's the default is what was got, got them off the ground. Right? Sure. They started their business. Now they're three, five, ten years into it, and it's, it's heft, and they need real emphasis put on what's that strategy. And and then from the strategy, you can start to execute on many different things that get others involved, i.e. insurance or, or, or other things that help bring um, suspense or, or bring um, real real energy to 
what happens if, right? right? right. And that's the whole idea of where insurance comes in, whether it's in life insurance or in disability insurance. Most of what I've seen in the life insurance arena is it starts, I think, very simply with just term insurance. I, I, too many times people try to draw and they try to make insurance be more than it needs to be or more, mm-hmm. more complicated than it needs to be. There are factors and elements that can add value. But most often when I sit with a, a prospective client about their buy-sell agreement, they couldn't tell me 10 days rather than 10 years. So t- term insurance for 10, 10 years is probably something that will get somebody pretty sufficient and satisfactory coverage for what they're wanting. Yeah. So. And that usually comes in after after a deal's made, right? So if, yeah. if you've got uh, the buyer and the seller have, have come to terms, especially if they're two insiders, uh, say it's a 50-50 deal right. uh, where, you know, two individuals are, are equal owners. One of them decides to step away. Right. What you want is uh, the coverage that would allow uh, the party to get paid, basically, right. in the event of the uh, of the death of the current owner at sure. that point. Right? And I'll just put another plug in. Beyond the life insurance, I think the one that's probably most impactful and meaningful is when there's a – it's for disability. It's a mm-hmm. disability buyout policy because, you know, unfortunately um, there's a conclusion drawn when somebody passes away. But think about uh, what happens if somebody happens to be in an accident, right? Are you right. going to continue – to fund this person, even though they're not bringing in the value they originally sure. had. So that's sure. a more in-your-face kind of a meaningful issue. Um, I don't say that one is more than the other, but we certainly talk about both when we walk down this path. Yeah, no doubt. All right, uh, sounds like we've beat that one just about sufficiently. So uh, uh, we can move on. Before we do it, if you have your own questions, we'd love to hear from you. Uh, you can call our question hotline at one eight five five four two nine nine one six six. The way it works, you leave your question, uh, your message, including your question. We play the question back on the air and answer right behind it. If you prefer to talk to a human being, you can call us at seven seven zero four two nine nine one six six. And by the way, that's where you could get in touch with me, Nick, or Jim uh, about uh, any questions you might have, whether it be you know details of a buy sell agreement a business valuation, insurance, whether it be life insurance for any purpose, uh, including, you know, trying to, to help fund a, a buyout of a business. So um, that's where you call us, 770-429-9166. Uh, you can also get your question on the radio that way. You just ask for our uh, radio show producer, who is Kelly Lynn, and uh, she would uh, she'll get your your information and get you a question answered. Uh, you could also, if you don't want to talk to anybody, you can just email us at drgene at hensler.com. That's spelled D-R-G-E-N-E at H-E-N-S-S-L-E-R.com. That's how you get the millennial questions, Troy. We, just, uh, just you know, we don't want to talk yeah. to anybody. Well, Millennials don't talk. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I'm hip enough to know that. We have a text line? <laughs> I'm hip enough to know that, okay. even though I'm still on fleek, which is, I guess I was told about five yeah. years old. Yeah, you are still yeah. on that, aren't you? I, whatever that is. Fleece or fleek? Which was it again? <laughs> Whichever you want to go with. Yeah. All right. you pick. Good deal. Uh, by the way, that Hensler.com is also our website, and we just had an upgrade to our website. If you want to see the Looks fancy real new, sharp. Yeah, you want to see the fancy new website, you can go to Hensler.com, H-E-N-S-S-L-E-R.com. Put faces with the voices. 
And then you oh, might yeah. then you might decide, well, I'll stick to voices only. <laughs> yeah, you probably might. We might even lose a listener or two if they go checking out what we look like. I uh, got a Facebook radio. Right? <laughs> yeah, right. But uh, anyway, that's uh, where you can find a lot of the information. If it is a broad enough topic, uh, we can answer it there. Speaking of which, we do have a, a, a question here this week from our good friend Bill Murray. He says, uh, year to date, as of March 26th, the S&P is up 13%. Vanguard Emerging Market Stock Selection, ticker on that is VMMSX, is up 11%. Considering, year, uh, considering that China is expected to carry out a stimulation policy and or other considerations, which fund uh, is likely to win the race by the end of the year, uh, three years from now, uh, which of the two is likely to outperform uh, versus the other? And to be honest, we... Just looking at what China is expecting to do uh, versus, as we said you know, earlier in the show, our central bank, the Fed, is uh, looking to be accommodative, but it, it's also spurred a, a question as to just what that looks like. Um, obviously, first step, I made this comment before, we've got quantitative tightening going on when you're allowing bonds to, to uh, roll sure. off. And uh, yeah, roll off with maturities. Um, that's a that's a tightening. They're not in the market buying. That would cause rates to continue to stay lower, go lower on right. the long end of the curve. Um, and it looks as if they're not going to be adding any more to our uh, to our overnight lending rate, which is at currently at two point two five to two point five right. the range. Uh, so you know it, what I would do is look forward, and, and what winds up happening is if uh, there's there's hardly any way that China could have a recession without dragging others down, and vice versa. I mean, yeah, if the U.S. goes their- into a recession, China's not exactly in, in a great position either. And you know, you mentioned China's stimulation policy. Well, if, if China's stimulating and we fall in a recession, we're going to stimulate, right? We're going to cut rates. We're it's already, already looking it, like right? we're going to. Um, I, I don't think that emerging markets stand to outperform by a significant margin. Um, the U.S. and not to mention with if you look at these emerging markets funds, I don't know how much of this is in China. Do you have that number? Twenty-seven. Twenty-seven percent is in China. And if you look at leverage of the U.S. versus China, I mean, listen, no one's going to sit here and tell you that we're in the best position, right? Yeah. But debt to GDP, what is China? Two hundred? No, it's bigger than that. It's four hundred. Oh, even there. double that. Yeah. Wow. Let me look real quick. I think it's four fifty-six. So China's fall from grace. If something does happen there, in my opinion, it's going to be much more impactful. Yeah. Uh, th- than a U.S. Yeah, it's 265.9. I'm sorry. Not to mention, U.S. goes into recession, people stop spending. Where do we buy a lot of our goods from? Yeah. China. What happens? That that's yeah. not good news for anybody. Right. Twenty percent of Chinese GDP is from uh, uh, is is from exports. So. Looking at that, it's it's going to be hard for one to go and not take the other. All right, we'll come back and talk a bit more about this. And meanwhile, stick around. We'll be right back. I am one of those melodramatic fools, neurotic to the bone, no doubt about it. Broadcasting from atop the Hensler Financial Building in the heart of Georgia's financial district, Kennesaw, Georgia. This is Money Talks. 
listening to Money Talks. I'm Troy Harmon here with Nick Antonucci and Jim Crone. And uh, when we left, we were talking about uh, emerging markets as uh, as an answer to our good friend Bill Murray, who uh, has put us in this uh, kind of a debate as to whether or not we go with the U.S., who's acting accommodative, or at least our central bank is. Uh, meanwhile, China's doing the same. Chinese emerging market fund he's talking about is uh, Vanguard Emerging Market Stock Select, ticker VMMSX. And, um, you know, like I say, holds almost 27% China. Uh, China, you, you're not going to have a whole lot of positive action on this particular uh, mutual fund without China going in the right direction. But it's our opinion that you're not going to see uh, either one of these uh, countries have economic slowdown issues without uh, without showing up on the other ones. Yeah, and I think if if you own both of them right now, um, you know it's something we always preach: diversification. So there's sure. there's no reason. It's not like you have to pick one or the other. Um, we would more heavily weight the, the U.S. based S and P 500. Yeah. Um, but, but different countries, moment, you know, have different – all economic cycles don't align simultaneously. So. That's true. Yeah, our, our policy at the moment is to avoid the emerging markets. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I would say really for good reason. If you look over the last couple of years, it's been a real crowded space. Most of the institutional investors have recommended uh, that that would be like the, the best play but if you look at the numbers, it really hasn't played out. Um, I think if you were selective in emerging markets, too, you could probably do better. But if you buy an emerging markets fund, something like that, they're all going to have Chinese exposure at least 25%, probably 20 25%. And that's yeah. our biggest concern. Yeah, if you look um, over the past two years, EEM is down 9.47%, uh, which is an ETF that just follows this Pretty much a similar situation. Mm-hmm. VMMSX, which is the fund that uh, that we're Bill's asking about, is down 5.4 percent. The S&P 500 is up 5.42 percent during that period. Uh, but if you look, there is something really interesting since the top of the market on 920 of 18, when we had that almost 20 percent downturn between right. 920 and December 24th. Uh, VMM is actually the better option. It's up 2.57. While most everything I'm looking at is is down, even the S&P 500 down 2.83 percent since that top. Mm-hmm. And by the way, we haven't reached, we haven't regained that top again. We're down, uh, you know, overall uh, yeah. about three percent. So, yep. um, you know, that's that's kind of where we are. So, uh, hope that helps you, Bill. That's that's our opinion at the moment. I uh, got another question here from Alan from Ballground. Says I'm 52 and getting getting a lot of offers for long-term care coverage. I'm single and have no heirs aside from my older sister. Do I really need an LTC policy, long-term care policy? Yeah. <clears throat> well, the question I think to uh, Alan is, uh, Alan, what's your plan if something happens? You know, uh, we can address on the financial side, but many times. When you do have family or folks that are close by, you do have a, a, a support system. In his situation, uh, he will likely have need to have care, right? Uh, professional care, which is costly. Yeah, we're talking about nursing home? Well, uh, it could be therapy, which is brought in the home, right? So right. that's one aspect of where a long-term care 
coverage comes in and, and offers some nice value. In fact, statistically, 80% of claims for long-term care start in the home. Okay. And so uh, you start to work down that path, and we have um, uh, methods that we go through to first evaluate where the financial risk is, right? So we look at cost of care today. And on a statistical basis, what it will likely be when they hit their average age when claims begin, which is around 79.80, that's sort of the foundation for how we arrive at a long-term care policy. But with folks like him, we might actually uh, look at it in a little different light. There are aspects about things where we could potentially look at a traditional disability policy and then put on a rider that does bring long-term care value on top of the disability. So it's just a a different way to slice it. Um, Most of the time when I'm talking to folks like this, they have had experience with other family members, right? Older folks that have been in this, and they are looking at that saying, gosh, uh, what happens if I get hit by the bus and live? (laughs) Right. Right? And so we just want to help them and put some economic numbers, right, premiums, to where they can get the most bang for their buck. And we can look at a variety of different choices on how best to do that. So you can answer their question, and it's really at this point, without knowing more, it depends. Well, it depends, but I think back to the beginning, it's the first question is, so, you know, Alan, who, who do you anticipate would likely take care of you? And if we don't have a support system, church, family, if he doesn't have family and so on locally, you start looking at friends, and that will last for a couple, a little bit. Yeah, that'll take you so far, and then you're going to step into some some real financial impact to whatever resources he has, uh, and that's where long term care can make those last longer. Sure. So. All right. Well, good answer, Jim. Thank you for that. Uh, we got another one that's based on something that you'll probably have the answer to. More Jennifer insurance. That's yeah, how it goes. That's right. Um, You've been saving these, right? Do. Yeah. You <laughs> still stand by the the listener base being millennials. A lot of uh, lot of insurance care. questions, long term care. <laughs> yeah. Well, they got parents they're too. Planning, they're planning. They get the point that you need to start planning start early. Now. There you go. And they yeah. got parents. Pay and attention. This is this is the time. This you is learn. what you want to tell your dad and mom about, right? That's mm-hmm. absolutely mm-hmm. right. So, yeah. uh, question from Jennifer from, from Kennesaw says, "What are some of the riders?" that I can get with my disability insurance, and are they worth it? Mm. Good one. I like that. Yeah. Well, look. I thought you would. As you, as you can imagine, insurance is one of those things. Boy, you can dress anything up. I mean, you can <laughs> layer in any and every rider you, you want. Um, there are some that I actually believe are probably more of, of good value to bring to the table when you start talking about a base disability policy. And many times those are quoted where they have, here's your base policy, and then they put a value, an incremental premium value to each each particular rider. And so what I often will do is sort of run the Cadillac and then step into the conversation with the client to say, here are the ones that I think would make most sense for you. And so we can then customize the coverage premium sure. and benefit-wise to exactly what their facts what and circumstances are. But I think the ones that make the most sense to me are ones that are what's called the future increase benefit option. So that's an idea where your benefits were likely to increase commensurate with your compensation, right? Everybody's looking for increases uh, over their next several years with compensation. So I definitely think that one is, is meaningful to make sure your coverage 
is is matching with those increases. Um, some of the ones that I don't think that have the greatest um, impact uh, for is hospital income riders or Social Security riders. The concept is, look, if you qualify for Social Security disability, that means you are, you are, you, something has really happened yeah. <laughs> and you are eligible for your uh, disability coverage. So I don't see that doubling up on that makes a lot of uh, economic sense. But uh, other things, there are things in there called waiver of premium, which when a disability occurs, it allows for the coverage uh, premium to stop. I actually think there's a value to that. And so what I would, as I said, I, I typically run quotes where I, I throw the whole Cadillac together sure. and then we'll walk down the path and selectively pick the ones that make the most economic sense. Sounds good. All right. Uh, so as a 50-some-year-old man, do you think that if I showed up with a man bun and two turns in my pants and uh, gauges in my ears? Turns in your pants. What is that? Uh, you know, like the Come cuffs. On. Oh, the you're rolling up the, the yeah. pant. Okay, do you think that I got they would it. Think I didn't. You know, I was I, disabled enough to get this policy. <laughs> Uh, Probably. So. I don't know if mental disability. Yeah, no kidding. Oh, it does. surely it's got to help. Right? It sure does. All right, market up or down this week? Quick. Uh, down. All right. I like insurance. All right. I say the market's up because I'm a broken record. Thanks for listening. Money talks. We'll catch you next week. All material presented is compiled from sources believed to be reliable and current, but accuracy cannot be guaranteed. The contents are intended for general information purposes only. Information provided should not be the sole basis in making any decisions and is not intended to replace the advice of a qualified professional, such as a tax consultant, insurance advisor, or attorney. Although this material is designed to provide accurate and authoritative information with respect to the subject matter, it may not apply in all situations. This is not to be construed as an offer to buy or sell any financial instruments, it is not our intention to state, indicate, or imply in any manner that current or past results are indicative of future profitability or expectations. Portfolio holdings discussed are subject to change. There is no guarantee that in the future these securities will be held in Hensler accounts. As with all investments, there are associated inherent risks. Please obtain and review all financial material carefully before investing. Hensler is not licensed to offer or sell insurance products. This overview is not to be construed as an offer to purchase any insurance products.